This is the 10th and final installment in our series on the attributes of God. And to go back through the previous nine, number one, God is real. There is such a person as God. We believe in him. Number two, God is absolute. God is the supreme being. There is no one higher than him. Number three, God is personal. He's not the force. He's not chaos and order and balance with each other. He is a person. God is triune. He is three persons in one substance, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is, we said, sovereign, which is he is omnipotent. He is able to do all things. He has all power. Number six, God is wise. That was his omniscience. God knows all things, and because he knows all things, all of his plans are full of perfect wisdom. Number seven, God is near. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but not only that, he is imminent. Remember that with an A? He is imminent. He is with us, and he can be known. Number eight, God is just. This was part one of the omnibenevolence or the goodness of God. He is just, he is righteous, and he is full of perfect wrath towards sin. Number nine, last week we looked at God is love, which was part two of the omnibenevolence, that God is not only just, but he's merciful, he's compassionate, and he's full of kindness towards his creation. And we could talk about God and just the attributes of God every week for the rest of our lives. And that's really what we're going to do. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to study multiple times a week until we get to go home and be with the Lord and do it for the rest of eternity. But I think this gives us a good foundation. And I tried to bundle up a couple different things into some broad categories so that we could do it in a timely manner. And I think there's one more thing that will cap all of this off. And tonight we're saying God is faithful. And by that I mean God never changes and he will always act in line with who he is. God does not change and he never is capricious. He never wavers back and forth. You can set your watch by the nature and the character of God. He's perfect and he never changes. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, the first part of that verse, the Lord said, I am the Lord, I do not change. It's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? And we're going to look at this in a couple different ways. First, we're going to look at the doctrinal aspect of this, the immutability of God, it's called. Then we're going to look at some challenges to that doctrine and answer some interesting questions. And we're going to end by applying it, bringing it home, celebrating the faithfulness of the Lord to us. So let's get right into it. We'll start by saying God is immutable. He never changes. It is incapable of God to change. If something is true of God, it has been true of God for eternity past, and it will be true of God into eternity future. For God to change would be for him to increase or decrease. And that is impossible when we're talking about God. By definition, God is maximally great. So the thought of him getting better, it's like, no, no, no. He's already up there. And for him to get worse is just unthinkable because then he wouldn't be all good. And he wouldn't have been God to begin with. God cannot become more powerful. If he's more powerful tomorrow than he was yesterday, that means yesterday he was not all powerful And he was not God because God must be all powerful. And if tomorrow God is less present, if there's a place where God cannot be, then that means before he was everywhere, he was not eternally everywhere. Therefore, he was limited. And to be God is to be unlimited. There are attributes to his being, such as his sovereignty and his trinity. That will never change. God is never going to add another person to the trinity. 
There are some cults and weird ideas that talk about the glorification of man as if one day we're going to be absorbed into God. That is not the case. God is immutable. And his character as well will always be perfectly just and perfectly loving. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, here it is, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The old-fashioned translation of that is there's no shadow of What that means is if you're looking at somebody standing in the sun, if they move, their shadow will move. But James is saying, you look at God, his shadow doesn't move because God doesn't change. God doesn't turn. He's not going to somehow move this way. He was good, but now he's a little evil too. Or he was powerful, but now there's some weakness in there. His shadow doesn't change because he doesn't change. Now, there's a wrong way to look at this when you can say, well, then that makes God basically just a formula. We know who he is. If, if X, then Y. So all we've got to do is input X with God and we're going to get Y out. Now, that's no good. Sometimes people will treat prayer that way. Like God is a computer program that they've hacked. They'll say things like, if you are singing God's praise and you say this word and you pray in Jesus' name, then you can command God to do things because he's bound himself by his word. And you say a lot of half good things and mix them with something that's not good. As if you can manipulate God. Like you've got him by the collar and you can pull him around. That is no good. That's not how we treat the Lord. That's not how we treat prayer. And I think a lot of ways, the best way to understand this is that God is a person. God is a person who does not change. He has a character. He has a nature. He has a capacity, which is unlimited. And he will always react and respond to events and people in line with that character and capacity. I make it look sometimes like I make it look like God has changed. We're going to hit that in a second. Well, he did this with them and he did that with them. But it's the same person responding to different situations. And because God is all-knowing, he has perfect knowledge of every situation. So something that looks identical to us might not be in God's perfect wisdom. He is perfectly predictable, if we can use that word in a good sense. Or maybe dependable is a better word. Now, we hear the word predictable as a negative thing. And especially young men don't want to be predictable, do they? You're never going to see me coming, man. You're going to think I'm going this way and I'm going to break that way. And just when you think I've got this going, then I'm going to change my mind and do something different. And it's ironic to me that people who claim to be unpredictable, you can pretty much tell exactly what they're going to do in every given situation because you can predict their unpredictability, you could say. But this is the reason why we look at predictability as a bad thing or being dependable as a bad thing. We call it boring because we always think of change in terms of improvement If things are changing, they're getting better. That's our natural assumption. That's our culture. Because our culture is living in the age of the fastest and most intense human improvement ever. Both from the industrial revolution to the technological revolution. We are soaked in the theory of evolution in our science and in the way we live life. And we assume that if it changes, it's getting better. The new iPhone is going to be better than the last iPhone. Although that's not always the case, but what's the argument? Well, it's new. It's the new one. Oh, we're using that same old idea. Give me a new idea because we assume new will be better. You don't see many stores advertising old fashions. Old fashioned is kind of a, a, a cute way of saying something that used to be good, but now we've got better things. But I kind of like it ironically because it was cool back then, even though I know it's not cool now. 
That's our culture, right? And it's not always going to be that way. It's going to change eventually. And it's not always going to change for the better. And not every change is for the better. You know that. We are now having a cultural change where we're having to stay inside all the time. That was not a change for the better. The Lord might use it for his glory, and I know he will. But that was not a change for the better. And for God to change would be to diminish. It's as if God is standing on the North Pole of goodness and greatness. And for him to go in any direction would be for him to start going south, to start going down. And that is just inconceivable. God does not change. He is immutable. That's what the Bible tells us. Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord and I do not change. And it also lines up with sound logic. That just makes sense. If we're trying to postulate who God might be, if we're going to come up with somebody who changes every five seconds, well, that doesn't sound like a good God. Sound doctrine, sound philosophy, sound logic. Well, then how do we understand what appear to be changes in God? Because there are some. We want to be honest with our questions here. When you see God, for example, send Jonah to tell Nineveh that destruction is coming in 40 days, and then they repent and God changes his mind. Wait a minute, I thought God never changes. Or you can look at the various dispensations of grace, how the Lord didn't make Abraham keep the law, but then he gave Moses a law and told the children of Israel to keep it and punished them when they didn't. And then when Jesus came and died on the cross, now we're no longer under the law. Has God changed? And the answer is no, of course not. But when you bring it to something very serious, like the incarnation, isn't that change? God became a man. The word became flesh. Doesn't becoming imply change? Luke chapter 2 verse 52 said that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In the incarnation, we know this to be true, Jesus took on the nature of humanity. That's that Greek word usia or the Latin substantia, where we get the word substance from, which is when we say that God is one substance in three persons. Jesus took on that same substance of humanity, and he's forever bound to us. That took place in time. We know just about the date when God became flesh. So if God doesn't change, how are we to understand that? I think the best way to answer that question, and it is difficult to answer, it's worth pondering, is that God in his divinity was not changed. There was no disruption in the Trinity. It's not as if the Trinity has somehow been disrupted by the introduction of humanity. First of all, it was always in God's plan. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. God always knew what would have to happen. He always knew that he would have to be incarnate. And he always was the kind of God that would do that. So for him to then execute it is not a change in him. It's just the realization of who he already was. Jesus Christ took on humanity. And this is where I think you can look at the change. In his humanity, there was growth. There was change. There were days where Jesus grew facial hair, and I'm sure maybe he shaved it off once in a while. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. I'd say now that he's been glorified and he's in heaven, there's no change any longer. But I think... Because we know that Jesus is not half God and half man, because he's 100% God, 100% man, he did not diminish his divinity to take on humanity. We can say safely, his divinity remained unchanged. He is just as much God, and he is the same God and the same kind of God that he was before he has added humanity to himself. And now he is that unique being in all of creation that he is God and man. And if that 
does not satisfy your curiosity. <laughs> I would say this. The Bible tells us that God does not change. And it tells us that Jesus was incarnated. So, therefore, the incarnation does not constitute a change that would alter who God is. It's the hypostatic union. It's kind of a mystery. We can think about it. We can ponder it. But I think that it really boils down to that. Jesus' divinity did not change. And God was always the kind of God that would do that. Similar to the dispensations of grace, right? The Lord was always planning to save humanity through Jesus Christ. And that's always the kind of ways he works with people. When he saved Nineveh, when they repented, Jonah knew, right? He said, I knew you would do that because I know what you're like. That's why I was trying to force them into your judgment because I knew if I didn't do it this way, you'd be merciful. God's character does not change, even though to us, it appears like we were going this way and we went that way. Now, there, that's the good solution to that question. The bad solution is something that has, hopefully, I think it has been drifting out of popularity, at least among the average Joe in some egghead academic circles. It's still kind of popular, unfortunately. But this is something that's called process theology. And I can safely refer to that as heresy. And that's a very strong word. And I don't like it when people throw that word around. But I'd say that when you talk about process theology, this is heresy. This is the belief that, not only is God not immutable, but God changes all the time. And that's what defines him is change. That God evolves over time. They'll say things like, well, when something new happens, then God takes that new information in. That information is new to him. He didn't know that before. Again, there's, we're playing fast and loose with the other attributes of God here. We'll say like, well, when your child is born or when you get married or you get a new job, that changes you as a person and you can't help but change you. And God is watching all these things happen. Couldn't God, are we going to say God is not changed by those things? And the answer is yes. But people will carry that so far until they'll say someday, trillion years from now, who knows what God's going to be like. We're all going to be absorbed into the universe of God and we're going to be just like him. And you see, it's the subtle lies of the enemy coming right back at you. No good. This goes way beyond what scripture says. To change is human. It is not divine. We change. We are sinful. We need to change. We want to grow. We want to get better. And our lives are so short that we can see the end of our lives and we're like, I hope by then I will have improved and gotten better. That is not a characteristic of God. You never look at yourself and say, this is what I'm like. I'll bet you God is just like me. <laughs> That's no good. We can learn some things about ourselves from looking at God, but it's very dangerous to go the other way. So there are some questions. There are some good answers and some bad answers. But you never want to take something that is known and obvious. When the Bible comes straight out and says God does not change. If it then goes on and it says, well, that kind of seems like change. Well, it's already said that he doesn't. So you know that that's not. What that means is we lack understanding, not that the word lacks truth. We never want to rewrite the Bible to satisfy our intellect, do we? Plain and simple, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? And that right there changes our lives. Because God does not change. Because God is not going to someday wake up and realize, I don't think I want to save these people anymore. <laughs> we can trust him. And his amazing promises, his goodness, his justice and love, they are as sure as his reality and his trinity. God can no more stop existing than he could stop loving you. He can no more stop being a trinity 
then he could stop being righteous because God does not change. This is why in the Bible, God makes everlasting covenants. He says in Jeremiah in a couple places, if you can change my covenant with the sun and the moon, then you can change my covenant with Israel and with David. And he's made that covenant with us as well, the new covenant. And in them, the Bible says that God swears by himself. When you're swearing something, and Jesus told us not to do that, he told us just say yes and be honest about it. But when you're swearing by something, you want to swear by something that is steadfast and never changes. Like by the mountains or by the earth or by the heaven. You never want to say, honey, I love you and our love is going to last as long as the dew on the grass. I swear by the dew on the grass this morning. It's like, what? You mean that it's going to evaporate as soon as the sun comes out? That's why the Lord comes out and says, if I'm going to make an everlasting covenant, the only thing that I can swear by to hold me to an everlasting covenant is me because I don't change. He will always act in accordance with the character he has revealed. And I want to say before we come to the end here, that's not always comforting. It should be if we're walking in the right way. But the Lord's justice and his wrath are just as real as his compassion and his mercy. And he will be faithful to them. Just as he'll be faithful to his love, to his children, to those who have rejected him and have walked in wickedness, the Bible says the Lord will cast them into the lake of fire forever. How could God do that? Because God is faithful to his justice and his righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And I know you may have heard this verse taught differently than I'm going to teach it now, but I do think this is the correct way to go about it. Paul says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, when we hear the word faithful, we immediately think positive. That's how it, it works in our vernacular today. If we say we're being faithful to our wife, it's a positive thing. We're going to love her forever. We're going to stick with her forever. So we see that word faithful and we immediately think, oh, that means good news for me. Hold on. Faithful meaning God is never going to deviate from his character. So when it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's in parallel with what just came before it, that if we deny him, he will deny us. Why? Because he cannot deny who? Himself. Because God is just, he's saying, if you renounce Christ and walk away from the Lord and spit in the face of Jesus, the Lord is not going to just let that slide because he's not going to deny his own justice and righteousness. Saying, if I'm faithless, God remains faithful. That's not a comforting thing. That's an intimidating thing. That's supposed to be the fear of God going into your heart. That if you're faithless, the Lord is not going to be less faithful to his justice and righteousness because he cannot deny himself. And that gives us a compass on how to live because we know what God is like. It tells us how to live, but bringing it immediately back to the good news. Because God never changes, because God is faithful, the gospel gives us unshakable hope. You consider any promise the Bible has made, no matter how wonderful or wild it seems, and you know that God is never going to change his mind. I will never leave you nor forsake you, except today. I'm, I don't feel like being with you today. I'm going to forsake you this afternoon. God doesn't do that. And not only does God never change his mind about his promises, but the Lord backs them up by the strength of his omnipotent power. The Lord does not make empty threats and the Lord does not make empty promises. The Lord is faithful. He is faithful to what he has promised you. And you can take comfort in the fact 
that God chose you. God chose you for himself. He's going to be faithful to his covenant to you. That when he said that if you put your faith in me, I'm going to bring you with me. You're going to be with me in paradise, as he said to the thief on the cross. That God means it and he can back it up. He will secure you by his own love. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If my salvation depended upon me, and me being good every day, I'd be in some serious trouble because I'm not always faithful. I'm not always faithful to what I want to be. I don't have the strength as a human being to be 100% faithful to my best intentions. But you know who does? God does. And the Lord looks upon your best intentions as flawed and as many times as you fail. And the Lord says, that's good enough for me. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Isn't that amazing? Even when we sin and we feel so horrible, we bring it to the Lord. The fact that you're feeling horrible about it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you can trust that God is still working it out. And it's going to have a happy ending at the end. When the Lord said he loved you, he will not change. When he said he would guard you in temptation, he will not change. When he said he's coming back for us, he will not change. Because God is faithful and he's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his bride, the church. He's going to bring the story to a conclusion. And if we throw ourselves upon that mercy, we can trust him to be faithful to his own mercy. God is immutable in his nature and he's faithful to you. Everything we've learned about God up to this point will not change. God loves you that much. And he's faithful and he's powerful to back up his own faithfulness. You can rest secure in the attributes of God. That God's not going to one day find an enemy that he can't defeat. Or that one day he's going to find a situation that says, forget it, I'm not going to be good anymore. Or that the Trinity would be ripped apart. It's foolish to even talk about it. You can rest secure in who God is. And because you can rest secure in who God is, you can rest secure that the God that we've been talking about for 10 weeks now has got you. And he's going to take good care of you. And that he will secure you unto that final day.